Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. your horrific true crime podcast i'm meg my co-host connie sassy target mannequin that she is is gonna take you through episode five the other baton rouge killer today tonight's case has it all murder cannibalism necrophilia and if you couldn't tell by the name of the episode some good old-fashioned serial killer competition we're heading down south. Yeah, That's it's going to be in crazy. Our lives serial killer competitions. <laughs> it's the it's the latest and greatest. We're going to head down south to one of my favorite cities, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Sean Vincent Gillis was born June twenty fourth, nineteen sixty two, in Baton Rouge to Norman and Yvonne Gillis. His dad struggled with his own mental health issues and alcoholism. In one instance, he held a gun to Sean's head, which traumatic. Yeah. Eventually, Norman was like, nah, not for me. He split and left Yvonne to take care of Sean by herself. Rude. She, yes. She struggled as many single mothers do, so his grandparents had a huge role in his upbringing. Yvonne worked at a local TV station full-time and what loved her- What did she her do there? It never said. It just said she worked at a local TV station, so I don't know. She just worked there. She's a weather girl. I decided. <laughs> she loved her son very, very dearly. Sean was a normal child. He wasn't dropped on his head. There's no evidence of any frontal lobe damage. No stories of him killing his pets or his neighbor's pets. Nothing that makes you think like, oh, yeah, he that's why he is the way he is. And I say it presently because he's still alive. Dang, he is. Well, I guess you said he's only born in 62, right? Yeah. It wasn't until later in life that his creep factor really came out. School-wise, he was an average student, no stellar grades, but that didn't bother his mom because she thought the sun literally shined out of his ass and that her son was the smartest boy in the whole world. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's getting weirder. <laughs> yeah. Sean was weird as hell throughout school, which honestly, I'm not really going to talk smack about because I feel like people probably thought the same thing about us. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. Yeah. He had a couple friends that he spent most of his time with. They talked about girls, Star Trek, listened to music, smoked a little pot, which to me earns a 10 out of 10 for wholesome content. <laughs> Normal high school things here. Yeah. Nothing out of the out of the usual. It also brings me back to our trailer when I said these cases would have you questioning every person you've ever met because I can name 20 friends growing up that if you swap the Star Trek for other various nerddoms, it would fit them or, you know, even us. Like, it's what we did. Yeah. uh, I can't name 20 friends from high school, I don't think. (laughs) I think I would think 20 friends from my lifetime. A solid 10, maybe. Yeah, maybe from life. (laughs) (laughs) From life. Now that you mention it, 20 is definitely an overshot. (laughs) Seven friends. I can name seven (laughs) friends and two of them are me and you. (laughs) You're friends with yourself. (laughs) 
Once Sean graduated, he started working at a local convenience store. You know, still nothing too crazy. But it was during this time that the internet really started to take off. And he realized his one true love. Porn. Porn. Yep. I. You didn't even have to say it. I knew. Yep. We're talking nonstop. He would miss work, lose jobs, because he literally would just stay at home all day jerking it to porn. So was this like the 80s then? Yeah, late 80s, 87 through 89 during this time frame. And he was in his mid-20s at this point. Yeah, I was going to say like... Okay. Yeah, he wa- it wasn't like immediately after because he was kind of a bum and his mom just took care of him. So, I mean, I feel you. I would do the same thing, not uh, jerking into porn, little, but like... Mama's little porn addict. Yep. So now the year is 1992. His mom took a job in Atlanta at an, like a bigger TV station and he resented the hell out of her for it. <gasps> She's not your wife she's your mom he didn't want to go with her so she was like hey you can still stay at the house i'll pay the mortgage and so this way you have somewhere to stay so for the first time this 30 year old grown-ass man is finally living by himself and he's free to be who he wants to be and this is where it gets real weird (laughs) it started by him getting really drunk and howling at the moon and cursing his mom for leaving him and this isn't figuratively this is literally him outside of his house who hasn't drunk, done that? Screaming <laughs> into the abyss about how much he hates his mom. Yeah, been there. And obviously by this point, the neighbors were like, all right, something's off about him. Wolfman's this- gotta go. Um, During this time, he was also caught window peeping in a neighbor girl's window. But he said he was looking for his cat that he didn't have. But- <laughs> Sorry, I just pictured it as a different kind of cat. the neighbors also complained about his friends coming in and out and the quote pungent aroma of pot that filled the air which (laughs) just is so funny to me it's like if you only knew what he's going to be doing inside this house the pot is not the issue like Sounds just like 30-year-old dudes having the yeah, time of their lives. Said. So minor creep factors aside, which I know looking into windows isn't really a minor thing, but compared to everything that you're going to hear, it is very small on the scale of things. Okay. He was living the relatively normal 30-year-old guy life. Only instead of living in his mom's basement, she gave him the whole house. And it's always fascinating to me to look back at serial killers who live these relatively normal lives. Because more often than not, you hear about the loner, the person caught murdering pets, some crazy trauma or upbringing. And they're physically unable to live any type of normal life. It's just insane. For And we'll hear about cases like this as we keep with the podcast. And it's even more fascinating when these people have significant others or families like Ted Bundy. That one still gets me. Just whole families. Whole families. That they're hanging out with on on the evenings. But when it gets late at night. And this brings me to the next chapter of his life. (laughs) 1994, Sean met Terry Lemoyne through mutual friends. They had a lot in common. They were Trekkies. She described him as kind and considerate, but an underachiever, a.k.a. he was nice, but a bum. (laughs) But also, she's probably also like 35 and (laughs) clock's ticking. She got him a job at the convenience store that she worked at because, as I mentioned, he couldn't keep a job because he just wanted to jerk off to port all day. Terry didn't like that Sean was a heavy drinker and he had zero interest in sex. Which, sidebar, you'll see this a lot in cases with people who have addictions to porn because they watch porn all day. And surprise, normal women are not porn stars. So they just they can't get aroused by normal women and normal sexual situations. 
Terry, there are one million red flags in this situation. No, she... Listen, she told him he didn't believe in sex because he had heard it was a nasty thing and she respected that. Oh, yeah. And in her just, 30s. I was like, she never just went to his house and... Uh, he was jerking it in one room and she was DJ diddling in the other. So gross. <laughs> I mean, do your thing, but the way you said that made me just go, what? <laughs> Shortly after their first date, she is quoted to have saying she wanted to test him. She said... To her, he seemed safe. So she wanted to make sure that he was actually safe. Spoiler alert, he's not. So she picked a fight with him. She slapped him. <gasps> Terry, not cool. And he cried. Oh, He said he stomped his foot and said, boys aren't supposed to hit girls and girls aren't supposed to hit boys, which is true. In normal situations, it's true. That's just the way it is. So in her head, she's like, all right, he's safe. I smacked him and he didn't do anything. Not a good judge. Don't no. do, don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> no, this is a zero out of ten recommendation. And we'll post pictures like always on our Instagram. And this guy, every time he talks, when you see him, he just is a dead ringer for Napoleon Dynamite's brother. Only, yep, yep Kip. Um, Terry, un- did Terry look like LaFonda? Because that would be no, unfortunately not. Well, whatever then. Okay, go she on. looked like a Terry. Like <laughs> she, she looks like a Terry. She looks like a Terry. I'm picturing like big curly hair. Oh my god, you're and, right. Am I? I've never seen her. I promise. Like bigger curly hair. Uh, probably like an oversized T-shirt tucked into like some mom shorts in the nineties. I feel like you just described me. <laughs> 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 on a normal day that's me minus the big curly hair yeah but feel attacked trendy now i guess it was trendy then too it is yeah you've been tight for unfortunately as a, as a for terry. sorry, sorry. go ahead go ahead unfortunately for terry it wasn't that he didn't believe in sex it was that there was no way she would be able to fulfill his fantasies because and she had no idea the porn he was interested in wasn't the typical like pizza guy delivers more than a pizza type thing it was quite literally the most grotesque gore porn you could think of i don't think i can think of any gore porn no we're talking rape murder dismemberment and i'm not gonna kink shame because to each their own but i did not even know this was a thing i did not know you could watch porn of people getting dismembered ah Ah. I don't think you should search that because now your search history is monitored. Yeah, for sure. That sounds horrific. Um... In the same month that they met, this is now March of 1994, Sean Gillis would act on these fantasies and take the life of his first victim. The the first month that they met? Yeah, the first month that they met. He was like, I'm sorry, I can't have sex with you. It's gross. I got to go murder this other person. (laughs) And now I'm going to give you a trigger warning because this is the saddest freaking thing that I'm ever going to say. Not that kids are not. I just think this is so sad. So I'm just going to get to it. Anne Bryan was his first victim. She was an 81-year-old woman who was living in the St. James Place retirement home across the street from where both him and Terry worked. Anne, no. Yeah, she was an artist who loved music and playing bridge with her friends. And I'm so sad that I even have to continue with this because it's every meme all you've ever met. On March 21st, 1994, Sean walked into her apartment through the front door that she left cracked for her nurse. Life tip, gruesome, 
podcast life tip, never do that. Lock your windows, lock your doors. Lock your windows, lock your doors, hide your kids, hide your wife. Yep, all of it. So she left it cracked for her nurse and he walked in and he said that he initially planned to just rape her. Which is rape an 81 year old woman? (laughs) Yeah. But when she started to scream for him to not touch her, he brutally murdered her. He slashed her throat. With and what? Sta- a knife. Where did he get it? He just had it. Like I don't uh, know. I think he took it in as like a fear factor type thing. <laughs> he stabbed her 41 times. Oh, no, Anne. I'm so sorry. The wounds were so severe that he nearly decapitated her. The stab wounds seemed to focus on her face, breast, and genitalia. Experts later said that they believe that he was frustrated because he was unable to perform sexually, and it just was rage. Ugh, I wish you could hear the look my face is doing right yeah. now. He said that he murdered her out of stress. Because his rape thing wasn't going according to plan or... No, his life was stressful. His convenience store (laughs) work in his free house was... And he had a new girlfriend. It was stressful. Okay. Sure. Whatever. Miss Anne's murder would go unsolved for 10 years. 10. This dude did this for 10 years before he got busted? Oh, God. I'm just going to break your heart and say it's like this huge thing. Like... (laughs) We have eight victims to cover tonight. I'm going to go over all of them. I hope we can still be friends after all of this. <laughs> uh, okay. Following, An- following Anne's murder, Sean would not murder again for five years. He said that after he committed the murder, his desire to rape and murder just seemed to stop. Oh, just got it out yeah. of your system there. He moved in with Terry, lived a relatively normal life. But in 1999, he, quote, got bored and the desire started to creep back. Remember that time five years ago? Yep. He began to pull he began to patrol the streets of Baton Rouge looking for his next victim. He later says that he looked for women who were prostitutes, drug addicts, anyone that was easily because he's not a very big man, and it's very clear by the stature of all of his victims. He went for very petite, small women because anyone else could probably kick his ass. So he didn't want to have them to put up a fight. Yeah. On yeah, on January fourth, nineteen ninety nine, he approached Catherine Hall, a sex worker and i don't say that to stereotype her it's just the type of that's his victimology he went for a lot of sex workers because he didn't think they would be missed he approached Catherine under the agreement like she would just have to give oral sex but instead he tried and failed i may add to strangle her with a zip tie like the long nylon type as she tried to escape like that seems like it would slip out of your hands really easily yeah no they're i think i mean yeah they would it would uh slip out of your hands easily but i guess it would be tight initially i get it yeah as she tried to escape he instead stabbed her 16 times before she died and then another 24 after she died (sighs) after he murdered her he raped her which would become his calling card and then he casually drove to a splash car wash which down there is like a big it's like a car wash chain okay where he calmly laid her on the ground Inside the car wash so he could clean out his car. Ew, he did it in his car? Yeah. Oh, what a mess. He then drove her to a dead-end road in, I'm going to butcher this, but it's Ascension, I think, Parish, which in Louisiana counties are called parishes. So whenever I refer to a parish, it's just like a different county. Okay, I know that from True Blood. Yes. (laughs) Yes. He took off her clothes and he posed her nude body and 
horribly mutilated body in a ballerina pose below a dead end sign as a quote funny ode to death. What, what like he yeah. stood her up or he laid her down and did no, that? No, he laid her down like at the bottom of a dead end sign because dead end and she was dead. What a creep. Yeah. Uh, Catherine was 29 years old. Ugh. Four months later, he saw Hardy Schmidt jogging and he began to stalk her. He's like, I want her. So what he a started cool stalking. Yeah, Hardy Schmidt. <laughs> I just think it's neat. I don't know. Go on. <laughs> She was an avid runner. She even competed in the Boston Marathon. She was not a sex worker. She lived a very posh life with her husband and three children. (sighs) I know it's coming. Go on. (laughs) After looking for her for three weeks... He finally found her again and ran her down with his car. Yeah, he hit her with she his... would definitely outrun him. Yeah, absolutely. He hit her with his car, knocking her into a ditch, and then he overpowered her and wrapped a nylon zip tie tightly around her neck. He put her in the trunk of his car and took her to an isolated area where he raped and murdered her because when he put her in the trunk, she was not dead. <gasps> Oh, she was just having a hard time breathing? Yes. Okay. The messed up thing, during this time, he picked Terry up from work. And she oh, commented, no. she and commented she was on in the, the trunk? Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Oh. She commented on the horrible smell in the car. He yeah. told her he Sorry, hit an I, I got diarrhea. Yeah, he told her he hit an animal on the way to get her. And that the blood was still on the car, and that's what she was smelling. Okay, so was Hardy alive in the trunk when this happened? No, this is after he murdered her. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, this is after he murdered her. Was she and remember in, was she dead in his trunk? Is yeah, that- she was dead in his truck. Okay. Her, trunk gotcha. this time. And remember, this is the guy who to Terry, he cried when she smacked him. So she just took his word for it because she's not gonna think anything else. Yeah, I guess you're right. Later on, when he was arrested, he said, like with a chuckle, he was like, I guess that's one of the few times, meaning there was more than one, that Terry did get to ride with a body in the car without knowing it. Poor Terry. Dude. Yeah. Literal fucking monster. Ugh. Ugh. Sean's third victim, Joyce Williams, was last seen November 2nd, 1999. According to his confession, he picked her up on Highway 19. They drove around singing songs to the radio. He took her to a street called Rosedale Road in Port Allen, which is a different town. Wait, so he's like taking her on a... Why is he taking this one on a date? So he's later quoted to saying that he would pick up sex workers and they loved him because he treated them like ladies so they would get into the car because he was so nice and polite and that's how he did it like that's how he because he didn't love you they wanted to get paid as they should spoiler alert no one wants you dudes he killed her with a nylon zip tie before he took her to his house and this is the house at this time that his mom owned, not the one that he shared with Terry. Oh, so he still he, had this house, this other yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. And his mom was still in Atlanta. Yep, Hotlanta. She was still in Hotlanta. During this time, he raped her deceased body, dismembered her, and divulged into cannibalism for the first time. And this, what, what number are we on here? We're on three. That's how many it's been? Three or yep, four? this is the third one. Okay. Okay, go ahead. He later put her body parts into garbage bags and a Xerox box and brought her to Iberville Parish where he just disposed of her remains. And they, he admitted, I'll get into that later, but they didn't find her body. This isn't one that they found and someone was looking for. Oh, okay. So this was an instance where his target worked out for him. 
Yeah, exactly. In January of 2000, Lillian Robinson disappeared. She attended church regularly and was very close with her sisters. She was 52 years old. He picked her up in North Baton Rouge and once again killed her with a zip tie. Was she also a sex worker or was she just... So I didn't want to say that she was because I read contradicting information. Some sites I saw said that she did and some articles I read never mentioned it. And I found a website where there's pictures of all the victims and she just... She looks like a meemaw, so I don't know. I don't know if she was or not. Maybe she was like like a, a niche sex worker. Yeah, some people said she was, and some people didn't mention it at all. So I didn't want to say whether, you know, one way or another. He took her to his house where he, once again, raped her corpse and mutilated her. When he was finished, he drove her to a nearby basin and threw her over a bridge. What's a basin? Like a lake? It's like a, yeah, like a small one. Okay, I Her just, body wasn't found until March of 2000, and she was found nine miles from where he said that he dumped her body. She was, like I said, she was 52 years old. Mm-hmm. You'll notice that he has month gaps in between his murders, and that's because with each murder, he's taking pictures and body parts so he can relive the murder. And he said it would do the job satisfying him for months, just reliving the crimes. Ew. Yeah. For being the other Baton Rouge killer, like, who could have done worse stuff than this? But wait, there's more. (laughs) Of course. Of course there is. (laughs) In October of 2000, Sean picked up Marilyn Nevels. He picked her up in Lafayette on his way to visit his godchild. How does he have godchildren? Uh, because he had friends. Yeah, he had friends. No one thought anything. They thought he was some Star Trek nerd who was the sweetest man. Look, if any of my friends turn out to be serial killers, I'm going to lose my mind. I know. I keep <laughs> thinking of all of our 20 that was cut down to seven friends. <laughs> Which Ugh. one is it? Marilyn was a 38-year-old sex worker. And like I said, he later, he says that sex workers loved him because he treated them like ladies. They when are. Mar- yes. And you weren't treating them like ladies. You were murdering them. Yeah, actually, yes, you are correct. You were not treating them like ladies at all. If someone was like, I'm going to treat you like a lady, and then they try to murder me, that's not treating me like a lady. They only think you treat them like a lady because they don't know you. Yeah. Mar- yeah. <laughs> Tangent. That's it. When Marilyn got in the car, he reached for his go-to nylon zip tie, but she was like, nope, not going to happen. And she fought him off and escaped the car. Yeah, she did. You go, girl. Unfortunately, he chased her across the field and he hit her with a metal oh, bar. fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. He then put the nylon zip tie around her neck. And after he murdered her, he recreated his second murder by taking her to a car wash so he could clean out his car. I don't know what's happening in Baton Rouge where people can just lay bodies next to their cars that they're cleaning. I feel like there's always a line at the car wash. Like there's someone that's like, did he just, is that lady taking a nap? What's happening in there? If they came to Ohio to try that, I can promise you my husband's at the car wash constantly. He would notice. (laughs) (laughs) Don't try that shit up here. (laughs) So we'll be like, that's for sure a dead body. Yep. Um. He cleaned his car before bringing her back to his house. And this one is disgusting because once he got her back to his house. They've all been disgusting. No, this is worse. Oh, he, he once again <laughs> raped her dead body and then he took a shower 
with her corpse. Ew. Like, I don't want to think about like the physics of that, but okay. Gross. No. And so when he, spoiler alert, he does get caught. And when he's, he has no shame with going through and telling exactly what he did. And he's probably like ballroom dancing with a corpse in the middle of a four-way stop or something. He described this shower that he had and yeah he said that he bathed her put soap on her he's like yeah i mean we were taking a shower you know yeah okay Okay. yeah yeah now during this time sean had two problems one was terry thought he was having an affair because he was literally gone all hours of the night he wasn't having an affair. He was stalking victims and murdering victims. And he was acting weird because he was stalking was and lit. murdering women. Exactly. And two, as our name alludes, there was another serial killer terrorizing Baton Rouge. At the same time? The same time. For the same, like, because this was, so now this has been over, what, like a 10 year span. Yep. The exact same time. Jeesh. He had Baton some Rouge. good old... Get it together in the 90s. Yeah. He had some good old-fashioned competition. Do you think that kept him going? Yeah. And uh, Derek Todd Lee was arrested in 2003 and was charged with murdering seven women throughout the area. During this time, Baton Rouge was a mess. Women started taking self-defense classes. They were finally locking their windows and they weren't going anywhere. Good. Yeah, once Lee was arrested, the police officers and the investigators realized Lee's victim profile did not fit the profile of these other unsolved murders. They thought that they could, you know, breathe again and they could finally be like, hey, we caught the guy. And then they were like, God damn it. Because there was a whole. There's two. And I wish I could tell you it was done, but Sean Vincent Gillis still had two murders to go. Sean, you fart knocker. Yeah. He is later quoted as is saying that he was worried that Lee would outdo him. So well, of he course up- <laughs> Whose so, dick is bigger? Let's decide. Yeah. So he upped his brutality. Ugh, okay. I keep Johnny- saying okay because I'm just so annoyed with this person that, ugh, okay, go on. I'm sorry. Yeah. I want to know more, but I don't, but I do. Johnny May Williams was his, was his friend. Oh, no. She... Sometime cleaned his house. They smoked weed together from time to time. She had three children and he picked her up again in North Baton Rouge. That was like his hunting ground. October 9th, 2003. So he did stop from like 2000 to 2003. There was a he was so obsessed with Derek Todd Lee. When they raided his computer, he had a file folder that was it was DTL and it was nothing but articles about Derek Toddley and all of these other murders. And he was like, bah. He was just like comparing himself or... Yep, yep. He was like torture porning um, himself. He picked her up on October 9th, 2003, and he drove her to a secluded area behind a place called Mason's Grill, where he beat her to death before slashing her body and cutting off her hands. Oh, her hands? Her hands. The detective Major Brian White Um, He was the lead detective on the case. He said that you could barely tell that Johnny May Williams' body was a human being because that's how mutilated she was. Oh, my gosh. He posed her for shock value and shock factor, including he sliced the back and front of her legs up incredibly he, when they moved her, her arms were folded underneath of her, and that's where they discovered that her hands had been cut off. 
And he later goes on to say that he took those hands home. That's what I was going to ask. Where are the hands? He gave them a manicure. Oh, my God. Yeah. This guy he took them. Is like he's Bates, like so yeah. messed up. Yeah. Even though her hands had been cut off, the investigators were able to look at the bones and a human hair was found. And from this, they were able to decipher that the murderer was a Caucasian male. And That's that was right, a DNA. And that was another nail in the idea that Lee could be the murderer because he was African American. So oh, they're okay. like, well, this is definitely not the same guy. He took over 50 pictures of her body that they later found on his computer, along with pictures from other victims. He's disgusting. And All he, right. He kept this computer at his other house. At, no, at Terry's. So at this oh, point. at Terry's? Terry. Yeah. So you at better. This, I sh- yeah. Can you imagine? Like, no, there's nothing like that going on. And I should add this murder. It took like the dismemberment before. He took her back to his house. Okay. The handless yeah, he one? Ha- yes. He had her at his house that he shared with Terry. He murdered her during sh- one of Terry's shifts. At, did she? Did Terry still work at the convenience store when this was happening? She did. She did. Terry sounds yeah. like a real consistent gal. She's very consistent. A um, few months later, a few months later, Sean would murder his final victim. Donna Bennett Johnston's body was discovered on February 26, 2004. He later said that he picked her up in North Baton Rouge and brought her to a secluded spot near a scenic highway, which that isn't the description of it. That's like the literal name of it. It's called Scenic Highway. Is it scenic? Did you like see it? No, I did not see it. I need a picture. I'm assuming assuming it is because to me, everything in Louisiana is scenic and it's beautiful and it's perfect. So I'm going with it. I've never been there, but it sounds hot and sweaty. It is very hot and sweaty and the most sweaty you will ever be walking out. And it's just that that negates the beauty factor for me. Like it can be beautiful, but if it's sweaty, I'm going to be like, nope, not. It's like beautiful in the fall. <laughs> like everything and spring and winter but definitely not summer it's pretty but it's hot as hell okay um back to donna he <laughs> once again put a zip tie around her neck and again she like he had another fighter she jumped from the car but he caught her when she was trying to jump a fence Ugh. which i feel like would also happen to me if i tried to jump a fence. <laughs> For sure. If I tried to jump a fence, I'd be like, ah, my foot is stuck. Oh, no, I can't get my leg up. Yeah, that would be it. (laughs) No fences. I can only survive if there's no fences. He killed her right there and brought her body back to his trunk. On on the scenic highway? Yes. Well, like she had ran. So it was like across a field. Okay. Which I still like, where are these people in Baton Rouge that all of these things can just happen? And it's just like, eh. But I guess it's because a lot of people down there just mind your business. Like that's their way of like, mind your business. And so people see like, they're just like, eh, nothing to see here. Another reason why I'm never going to Louisiana. (laughs) (laughs) It's my, God, it's just so great down there. Yeah. All the murderers, all the serial killers. So good. They're I'm, not there anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You you finished fine. <laughs> I'm gonna have to end this call. 
Um, he took her back to Terry's house during Terry's shift work again. He had put her in the trunk, took her back to Terry's house, and he dismembered her body on the kitchen floor. At Terry's and house? At Terry. Like, because he had moved in with Terry. Yeah. So, I, so yeah, like, how long were kitchen? her shifts? I feel like she always work at this point. Like, it's every time it's like, well. Yeesh. Okay. Yeah. And once again, he partaked in cannibalism, which is uh, uh. She had a butterfly tattoo on her thigh, and he sliced it off. To eat it or keep it? Keep it. Okay. She well, fought like hell. tastes weird. Like, I, I think, think human so. probably tastes weird. I don't ever want to eat human, but, like, if you were to eat my tattoos, I bet they maybe they taste different. I don't know. Maybe they taste different based on how much you spent on them. <laughs> Shower thoughts. The, the, more, Shower. The, the more they cost, the better they taste. Um, she fought like hell because his dna was found all over his like underneath her fingernails good job you yep the investigators were so frustrated at this point because he was so sloppy with dna they had he had victims where there was pubic hair found you had johnny a piece of hair from johnny's bone now donna has his full dna underneath her fingernails but, but he's never he, done anything he's to never like- been in trouble so his dna wasn't in the system they had all this matching dna and they're like we are looking for one person, but they had no one to link it to. Yeah, because he's just quiet and kind and considerate. Just likes to watch Star Trek and murder people. Bastard. So he disposed of her body just right around, pretty much right around the corner from his house. It was like blocks away. And little did he know that this is what would get him one on police maybe, radar. Maybe he knew. Maybe he did it on purpose or no. So I'll we'll get into that in just a second. Oh, okay. But when you think of good old fashioned police work, it was this case because he left, they, they found DNA underneath her fingernails. And so they combed the entire area where she like the detective said every blade of grass was checked for evidence and they found tire tracks they were able to match those tire tracks to a goodyear tire further and then when they went further they sent them to like be evaluated or whatever it's called okay they were told these tires are very rare what weird so they keep going they were able to discover that there were literally just a couple hundred sets of those tires sold in the entire baton rouge area so the police just they went for it they were able to tell based on the tread that was on there about how old they were so they started interviewing and talking to every person who had purchased those tires in the past 12 months in the area anyone they talked to they asked if they would voluntarily submit for an oral swab and most of them are like oh yeah absolutely i've never killed anyone <laughs> no problem absolutely <laughs> take my spit sean was number 26 on their list so they ask him if he wants to come in for some questioning and he's like oh yeah sure he had told terry it's just a misunderstanding so immediately he starts saying sketchy statements he brought up how johnny was his friend and yeah she had been in the car yeah you know sometimes she cleans my house he even explained why his tire tracks were near the scene of donna's murder because he had quote been drinking and had to pee on his way home so bad he knew he wasn't going to make it to the house because his his house because his bladder was gonna blow and i shall add louisiana is the area of drive-through daiquiri huts which is another reason i love it so much so you it's like a drive-through convenience store only it's full of frozen daiquiris shots whatever you could ever think of they give it to you in a styrofoam 
cup like a fountain drink with they don't put the straw in it. I told you I've never had a daiquiri, but I'm down to try that at some point in my life. That is my husband's biggest life goal is to find a place he could open a daiquiri hut and live happily ever after. <laughs> Alone. I'm by just himself. I'm sorry. Without his family. <laughs> You're not wrong. Just by himself with his daiquiris. But it's like it's like ice cream. They have like birthday cake flavor, banana cream pie flavor, any frozen drink you could ever think of. And they are strong as hell. And they're like, our all right, we're going to give you this daiquiri. Don't we drink know that it you're, until you Don't get drink home. it on your way home. So, I mean, I get that he, you know, he probably was drinking and driving because it's just, it's everywhere down there. Like everyone's like, oh yeah, just a, just a daiquiri, no big deal. It's a casual Tuesday morning. Yeah. And like I said, she was literally found blocks from his house. So they were like, wait, you couldn't wait just a few blocks. So they're like, all right, this guy is suspicious as he just he, this is it um they asked if any blood would be found in his car and i'm gonna give you the most unscientific just hold on to your pants because any woman who is listening to this is gonna say what the hell oh god i already know go on he, tell me he said he says well about a month after we got the car terry got her period she had her period and these are this is a direct quote from him she had her period and it just soaked I mean, it's like I said, it looked like a massacre in the front seat. Man, blood just started flying everywhere in the vehicle. What? (laughs) Any woman, it's like, that is not how it works. It's just one blood spot on your seat. That's going to be it, my friend. Yep. (laughs) It was was spraying everywhere. (laughs) It was like a Quentin Tarantino movie. That's exactly what I thought. I'm going to tell everyone that's how periods are from now on. And at this point, Major Brian White, like I said, the investigator was like, wait, so would blood be found anywhere else other than the front seat? And he was like, well, the window is open, so maybe because it was flying around, there might be some in the back seat. Who was shooting out the window? Oh, it's like any gore film from the 80s where it's just like spraying. <laughs> and I'm like, that's okay. Any men listening to this? It's so funny because that is not how it happens ever. They know. They know that that's not how it happens. <laughs> I don't know. There might be a 17 year old like, wait a second. It's not like a water faucet. Oh, man. It's not like the shower head when you stick your hand over it. That's no, exactly that's not. what. Yep, that's it. <laughs> That's how it happens. Stay away from stay away from girls and their periods. And when they first brought him in, they were like, hey, at any point, if you want to come, you know, we'll take you home. And he was like, okay. So at this point, Brian White said, I okay, I know that Brian, this is the guy. Brian, Brian White, White is the, he's the lead detective on the case. Okay. He's the one that was interviewing him at the time. He was like, I knew in my gut that this was the guy, but all we had right now was circumstantial evidence. We you were, have a whole pot of DNA. I thought they were oral No, swabbing. they were. Yeah, they did. He, they were waiting on it to come back because it's not like, you know, a flu test where five minutes later it's back. They were waiting on his cheek swab. And as soon as he gave the period story, he, uh, Detective White was like, draft a search warrant for his car right fucking now. Direct quote. Do it. Like I said, White had told him that they would bring him home at any point that he wanted to go home and he was like i'd like to go home now you told me you would come home you would take me home and i would like to go home now so they had to take him home because they didn't have the evidence to tie him to it right yet 
Yeah. So did they take him to Terry home or to the other? Yeah, home? Terry home. Okay. Terry home. And at this point, so somewhere in the midst between the fourth and fifth murder, he completely moves into Terry's house. Okay. So at so this the point, other there's just, the, is just his murder house. No, it's there's nothing that like the house is gone at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he goes home watches a movie with Terry and Detective White was like, I don't care what you have to do. I need this DNA sample back now. Expedite it. Do whatever you can because we have our guy. And sure enough, the evidence finally came back. And this is the same day. The evidence came back and it obviously he was, he matched all of it. Yeah. <laughs> so they had no idea at this point because it is not common for serial killers to have normal lives. They thought he was living in this house all by himself. They SWAT storms it. And first they were like confused that there was even a woman there. They were like, he's going to kill her. And she, Terry's freaking out. She's like, what's going on? What's going on? And uh, one of the officers, Officers is like, didn't you know you've been living with a serial killer? Oh, snap. Terry, and like, I bet she's still in therapy for sure. Well, she was convinced that it was wrong. She said, she still says she never saw anything bad about him. So like the badass that she is, she went to get the truth because he was arrested and she went to the um, jail to get, she said she wanted to hear it straight from him. And she said, I just walked into the police station, picked up the little phone and said, Sean, did you do everything that these police officers said? And he just drops his eyes and says, yeah, sorry, honey, buddy. <laughs> yeah. And she said, I just got up, turned around and walked out. Yeah, you did, Terry. You know what? You should have done it 10 years earlier. So for hours, he sat in this interrogation room and they got the police officers got to hear every little detail. He says, I'm sorry I hurt people, but I would do it again. Ew. And Brian White, the investigator, said once he started confessing, he confessed. He laid it out A to Z. Gillis says, if anything in my useless life comes out, at least it'll help little girls today not be the premature corpses of tomorrow. Ew. Like, that quote is good, but also gross. Yeah, and Brian White said, it's just like something clicked in Sean's brain because at some point he looked at me and said, hey, you got a pencil? And I said, sure. And he just started wrapping them off. He started naming other victims. He said, get ready. And he admitted to the three that we had on him. And then he admitted to five more. That's when he admitted to Hardy Schmidt. That had never been solved. That was never Joyce, solved. Yeah. Oh, nope. I guess he was Joyce, gone for so long. Sorry. Yeah. Joyce Williams never solved. Lillian Robinson never solved. Marilyn Nevels. And it, it's not even that it was solved. He was never, they were, he was never on the they never had any idea they were connected. And um, then, of course... he use a zip tie on, like, all of them? Yeah, but he dismembered and mutilated their corpse as well. Oh, yeah. Too bad and he then, could have been known as the zip tie killer instead of the other Baton Rouge killer. Yeah, really missed your mark. <laughs> and then, of course, 81-year-old Anne Bryan. They finally had solved her murder. And Brian White said he was shocked at the names because they had no idea. And then Sean says... You let me out on this street, I'll find someone before sundown. Gee. Uh, he's just like, you know what? Now that I'm here, I'm full crazy. Yep. And then he had said that he picked prostitutes, drug addicts, and anyone who looked helpless or willing to get into his car. He said he picked disposable people, people that society would not miss. He considered them to be worthless. Oh, I miss them. And they showed him pictures of alive people. And he said, even beat to death looks better than the photo you got of her right there. Like of one of his victims alive. That he liked a better dead. 
what the heck? Yeah. Oh, man. He goes in, describes the shower scene, how he said, I held her up, bathed her, and held her to me. The hands, he said, I painted her nails while I had her hand in there. What? You think he used Terry's nail polish? Yeah. Oh, I would assume so. Unless he has... Oh, man. I would assume. <sighs> and then he... Joyce was his third victim, and he said that he did a deranged autopsy of her at Terry's house while Terry was at work and said she had beautiful legs. That's one thing that I recall about her. And I wanted to keep those legs. I like a good set of gams, good set of legs. Looking at it, just the curvature of it. It was beautiful. You know, notwithstanding, it was cut off of a person. Notwithstanding. Yeah. This guy is like crazy yeah he is so a he, crazy person ha, is his mom okay like no he later goes on to talk about how he had these feelings about his mom and he was asked um they brought in a fbi criminal profile because of course like why would they not bring in a profiler for this guy yeah and her name was mary ellen o'toole and like when she was face to face with them he starts talking about how his feelings of necrophilia and how he wanted to try it started when he was 10 and he continued to fan- sexually fantasize with his about his mom. And she asked, did you ever think about having sex with her, meaning his mom? And he said, yes, of course. She's not an unattractive woman. Even if you see her and meet her now, I thought if she passed away, y'all would find me in bed with her. Y'all might. Ew, that's gross. What did Mary Ellen O'Toole say? Whoa. Now, this is the part that had me. Ugh. So he's confessing to all of this. And the investigators are like, we got him. Like, you can't come back from that. He tells them as soon as like pretty much as soon as they have rearrested him or as soon as they have arrested him and he's in there, he's like, you know, I think I really should have brought a lawyer. And then he keeps talking. So he tells them all of this after he says that. So after he has said that he should have brought a lawyer, anything after that, which is every freaking thing that he said, they couldn't use in court. Did he know that? Yeah, he did. He's a genius. Is he a genius, though? Like he's he only a, got average grades in school. Well, you think about it. Like, he intellectually, like, with this stuff, like, he it, – it's insane. Mediocre student, but higher average – higher than average IQ. So this is where it gets crazy. Not that it hasn't been crazy. This is, like, where justice – sweet, sweet justice is served. Because he thinks that all everything they have – I mean, they do have DNA. They have all of this. But they – it's hard to prove first-degree murder – because you have to prove like intent. It's not, you know, they ha- you have to prove it. And it's hard. That's why a lot of cases they settle for second degree murder because they don't know if they can get first degree murder. And he went through this whole confession, but they couldn't use it in court. So they were worried they wouldn't be able to get first degree murder. Did they get first degree murder? So when, when they were in court, prosecutor of the case, her name was Premila Burns. She went by Prem. Um, also a cute name. Yep. She says, I'll never forget this. I was in the courtroom. And one of the female deputies went and just kind of nudged me after hearing in this case and hands me a letter from Tammy Perpera, which is she was a really good friend of his final victim, Donna Johnston. And she said, I need to give you these and their letters put on a silver platter for me. What are they? (laughs) Tammy had started writing Sean. And like a dumbass, he responded, just going on and on. And she said she went bingo. That's another nail in his coffin. And Tammy had said, I never thought he would answer me. Honest to goodness, I never thought he'd be so stupid to answer me. 
but he does. He, he did is that stupid. Yeah, like yeah, he like, did he because just... he loves when they. I watch the inter like his interrogation videos, and the way they get him talking is they say they pay attention oh, to him. They were like, oh, you know, you almost had us. This what you you know, like they were talking him up because he wants to be respected, and he tells them that he has a monster inside of them, and they're like. I bet you're, you know, I bet you want this to end. And that's what, like, earlier, he's like, yeah, I do. So I think that's why he finally was like, okay, like, let's let's be done with this. But he says if he had not been caught, he would have just continued to kill until he was. Just whenever he got the gumption, huh? Yeah, and he, right when he wrote to Tammy, he describes how he murdered Donna. He said, your friend died quickly. She was so drunk, it only took about a minute and a half to succumb to unconsciousness and then to death. Honestly, her last words were, I can't breathe. Yours, oh, so beyond sorry, Sean Vincent Gillis. That's how he signed the letter. Ew, like that's her friend. Yeah, so... The prosecutor said that is the letter is what gave them first degree murder without a benefit of a doubt. And she it gave them a very dramatic moment during the trial because she asked everyone to be quiet for a minute and a half. And she was like, that's how long it took him to murder Donna. Boom. So it was like, gotta yep. love an attorney with a dramatic flair. Yep. And unfortunately, Tammy ended up sick and she died before the trial. She had cancer. So she died. Her and friend? like she. Donna's yeah, her friend, friend did. And she, I mean, she gave Donna and the rest of the women the justice that they deserved. Shout out to <sighs> you, Tammy. Yep. And He's so real with the, MVP. With the overwhelming evidence, including the DNA and now his own self-incriminating letters, the verdict was undeniable and he was guilty of first degree murder and he is serving three life terms in prison. He didn't get the death sentence in Louisiana? No. That's what's really crazy to me, and I don't know why he didn't. Do you? I don't know, man. And furthermore, Terry still lives in that house. No, Terry! You know what? I said Terry was consistent, but I think Terry's crazy as hell, too. I take it back, Terry. She says, uh, the police told me that he had dismembered one of his victims in the kitchen, literally right there. And she points to the squares and she's like, I would say in those four squares right there. And they were interviewing her and they were like, do you ever like have any feelings while you're standing there? And she's like, no, that'd be like thinking I can't live on this piece of property because there was a war here. It's a building. That's the way I look at it. She also still has his car. Terry. Yeah. Yep. What? The cops didn't, like, take it because it was full of, like, dead people evidence? No, no. I mean, I'm sure they did it, like, they did to process it, but, and now, yeah. This is just, like, a whole episode of, like, I wish you could hear my face. Yeah. Because I was just, like, no. That's why I just kept saying, okay, okay. Because I... Yeah, he had nicknamed his car, Sean had nicknamed his car Buffy from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I hate that he hey, ruined that. Yeah, do not disparage Buffy in that way. And yeah, he would have cut is, your head off. At the time, it was still, his car was still sitting in the back of her yard and she was asked if she would end up selling it because people want to buy it. And she's like, I have no idea. I thought of donating the thing. The company that I bought it from, they didn't want to back because they said it was a biohazard. <laughs> yeah, it is. Isn't there like a museum of serial killer stuff? You know, I don't know. I think there is. Maybe, maybe she could donate it to them. Though I don't really know if I agree with making money off of. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. And she said that she still lives in the house because, quote, the house didn't do anything wrong. 
I mean, what's like, left of I, what he did. I hate Terry, but I also love her. Like, I just, she's just, this person is just so is, wild. I feel like she's very, I don't know, because she said, I mean, what was left of what he did has been disposed of. It's been taken away. And they were like, so you don't feel a bad or negative energy? And she's like, no, what too do much you think, good. At- what do you think her astrological symbol is? I don't know. You're better at that than I am. <laughs> I feel like, honestly. Which one might- is naive? Besides Hufflepuff, because that's definitely (laughs) what she is. I was going to say, like, maybe an Aquarius. (laughs) What? I I don't want you to get mad at me. But also, like... You know, I could see it because she doesn't associate. I I feel you on that. So maybe you're right. I that was my first thought. Yeah, but and it could be somebody else who's better at that. Send us a message and tell us what you think, or like leave a comment on this next week. Yeah, that whatever we can post this. But you know, now that I'm gonna read her next comment, I'm like, you may be right because it does sound like something that me or your husband would say. <laughs> they said after he went to jail, what did you do? And she said, I redid the floors and redid some of the walls. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe a Scorpio. Because that seems like very like, ugh, now I have to do this. Now he ruined this shit. I know this is going to sound like a very Aquarius thing to say of me, but I don't really pay attention to anyone else's signs. That's fair. That's fair. You don't have to. Uh, So that's it. He's rotting in jail i hope he also feels like he has a uti and scabies every single day always feels like he has lice that they can't get athlete's rid of. foot yeah Whatever. jock itch give this guy jock itch man a parasite you suck sean pit worms pit worms is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> just like a scratch right in the middle of your back that you can never get to it's awful and it still does not taint my love for louisiana baton rouge all of those places Ugh, but that's some bad juju and i just can't believe and they also i didn't like go too far into it they think there may have been an additional serial killer during this time but they were as prominent as lee and gillis how many dead women were turning up for there to be three serial killers over the course yeah. of 10 years like that's they're like oh shit well between the two of them sean vincent gillis and lee there's 15 women so there had to be more than that yeah which i mean i know that's like a typical tuesday for like the john wayne gacy's of the world where it's like oh i have 26 of those but you said that lee's victims weren't the same as um what's his faces were oh so it is uncommon for a serial killer typically when they have a type um, the serial killer will focus only on like they're like all right their type is like Caucasian women, oh, and like that love. was I gotcha yeah and that was different for Sean Vincent Gillis and that's what made him like difficult because he was a, like he did not discriminate he had but you Caucasian said initially African. you said he liked petite women yeah he liked very small petite women but I mean even his ages he was down you know oh, yeah that's true thirties like all the 50, way 30. yeah he so they couldn't it was hard to pin because he he was all over the place and Derek Todd Lee was predominantly Caucasian women. So when there's like the, the just strictly Caucasian women didn't fit Sean Vincent Gillis's type. It's crazy. It's too. And he couldn't even because uh, Derek Todd Lee, he is known as the Baton Rouge killer. 
So he is like that's his dub and the other <laughs> the other killer. Which I'm sure at some point we'll cover Derek Toddley and we could come back to Sean Vincent Gills and how freaking awful he is. Full circle. Full circle. But that's all I have for you. It's a long episode today, guys. Sorry, there was a lot to cover. And I will, I think the hardest was talking about Anne because she's 81 and she played Bridge and it's freaking awful. I don't know. I really did not like that one. That was awful. Yeah, Thank sorry. You. Thank you for that. <laughs> and yeah. I didn't I didn't realize after like once I had chosen this one that we did two cannibals back to back. I you know, as you were saying it, I was just like, yeah, this guy and like Isisagawa, they should start a club of like people fuck, that suck. Fucked up weirdos with like beautiful childhoods. People who suck and people who should have pinworms every day for the rest of their lives. They're both alive, too. What What a bummer. So that's it for today. Thank you all so much for listening to Gruesome True Crime with me, Connie, and Meg. We appreciate every single one of you. We truly do. If you actually like us and you're not just trying to seduce and murder us, you can follow along or see extras from the show on our Instagram at gruesome podcast or if you want to tell us our skin would make a nice lampshade or if you have follow-up questions about the episode follow the form on our website gruesomepodcast.com and email us we love hearing from you guys you can listen to gruesome at the links listed on that website or you can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever else you normally get your podcast bill thank you again be sure to subscribe check your back seat before you get into your car And remember that on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.